Um, in Matthew chapter 11, uh, I know we just spent like half, almost a year talking through Matthew, but it was so good, we're going to go back for a little bit this morning. So um, at the end of chapter 11, Jesus is looking around at his culture. He's looking at the religious systems of his day, and he's kind of taking inventory, right? And he's seeing burden after burden after burden being heaped on the people's backs, of you want it, you want to, you want things to be better. Well, here's something to do. You want, you want this to change. Here's something more to do. And it was just burden after burden after burden. And finally, he has enough, and he makes this earth-shattering statement in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says this: "Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. He was sick and tired of watching people being sick and tired of trying to earn something that he was there to give that only he could give, that nobody could earn on their own. And he's kind of like, he's, he's not mad at the people that are sick and tired. He's, he's frustrated with the systems and the, and the sinful humanity, the, the nature that keeps on saying, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, right? Well, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I get worn down. And, and sometimes I just, I feel insignificant, inadequate, unworthy. I feel all of those things. And what's really ironic is that this week, I really felt those things. If I'm being fully transparent, this week was really hard. There was a couple times where, where Nicole looked at me and she says, are you okay? You don't seem okay. Are you okay? And I was like, yes, leave me alone, right? <laughs> you don't know me. We've been married for over 25 years, you know. But she could just tell something was going on and I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to look at it. But if I'm honest... It was no surprise because guess what we're going to be digging into? Satan doesn't want me to dig into this. He doesn't want you to dig into this. He doesn't want his game plan exposed. He doesn't want it. And so it's ironic that this week I felt guilty for spending time, taking time off to be with my family while they're home from college. I felt guilty for taking that time. I felt the pressure as, as the new year is about to kick off, the responsibilities, the expectations, the opportunities, and guess what? I felt insignificant. I felt inadequate. I felt unworthy. In fact, the voice of a pastor that I used to work for that clearly said, Jason, you don't have what it takes, rang in my ears. That hurts. I, I've worked through that time after time, but, but they, they, it was very clear, you don't have what it takes. You can't do this. You can't do that. And that voice, that, the voice of the accuser keeps on ringing in my ears. Well, last week, we actually uh, kind of took this little bumper week, right? And we, we looked at confession. What a fun way to, to go into the new year, right? But the heart of it is that looking at anything that is, is standing between us and our creator and what our creator has for us. And, and Ryan, you walked into this one, but you got to stand up. Come on, man. He, he, is my, he is my visual aid. He's my object lesson this morning. This is Dana. Dana gave him this shirt. <laughs> I saw that. Right? I love that. It's so good. You're never going to show me anything again. You're going to 
<laughs> put the hood over there. No, I just, that was just beautiful. I love that. But it was just, it was just so, it was, it was an opportunity for us to look at, okay, what are the things that are kind of holding us back from who God calls us to be, designed us to be, empowers us to be, and releases us to be, right? Typically, if you, you know, if you've been coming to Greenhouse for a long time, like our bread and butter, our, our heart and soul is doing exegetical studies, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, but occasionally, you know, once or twice throughout the year, we kind of take a little break and we do something more topical. And so for the next three weeks, we're actually going to do a little side trip. Um, we're going to be looking at something uh, that, that really holds us back. It's not going to be very fun, especially today. Today, uh, we're actually not going to look nearly as much scripture. The next two weeks as we look at, okay, now what do we do? Jason, thanks for telling us all that's wrong with this. Yeah, the next two weeks, we're going to dive into the word and we're going to look at what God says about this. But just like when we go for a diagnosis, hey, I'm not feeling okay, doc. What's the matter, right? He needs to do some tests. He needs to look at what's going on. None of us. I I, I don't like that, right? But it's important because we need to identify the things that are problematic for us. So before I dig in, I just want to pray, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll keep on going. So God, we thank you so much for your love. God, we trust you. We trust you. I know for some of us that that might be a stretch. That might be a bit of an issue because maybe we've tried to trust you and we felt betrayed by those who represent you the people, the organizations, um, God, that might be a little bit of hurt there or a lot of hurt. Um, God, I pray that your spirit would just meet us today, that we could approach you with, with humility, with vulnerability, um, and openness. God, we, we want you to, to, to you see inside of us. And so, God, I pray that you would just reveal anything this morning that's inside of us or maybe things that are around us that we've struggled with, the systems that we've been a part of. God, just show us what you want to show us this morning. But, God, I pray that this morning we would see your compassion, your truth, your love, your forgiveness, your salvation, and most of all, your transformation. So, God, we just turn to you right now, and we surrender this time to you. Praise things in your name. Amen. All right, here we go. Tired of trying to measure up. Why can't I measure up? The problem with shame and shame-based systems. Guess what? Get ready for a fun lecture, all right? My boys are on college break. You guys, high schoolers, junior hires, you're all on break, right? But here, we're going to have a fun little lecture today. So shame-based system. What is shame, right? A lot of times we think shame and guilt are, are synonymous, right? But they're two different things. There are some similarities, but they're two different things. Shame is not the same as guilt. Guilt is an emotional response to something that's wrong, right? It's, it's just like how we have anger or happiness or whatever. Like those are circumstantial things. It's our emotional response that we have to something being wrong. We, we feel guilt. I, I, I punched the guy in the face. I should feel guilt over that, right? Like, like that. If I don't feel guilt, I'm, there's something wrong, right? But um, unprovoked, right? Um, if he deserved it, he deserved it. There we go. But, um, but no, guilt is an emotional response to something that was wrong. It can be healthy because it can motivate us to change. If we don't feel guilt, we don't realize that something's wrong. If we don't realize that something's wrong, we're not going to change. We're not going to grow. We're not going to go towards God, right? It can actually be something that's, when engaged appropriately, can be good and healthy. But shame is a pervasive condition. 
It's a belief or a mindset that there is something irre- irrevocably wrong with me, and there is no hope, right? Like guilt is, I did something wrong. Shame is saying, I am beyond hope. I am worthless. Guilt is a warning light on the dash signifying that there's something wrong. Shame says that the trash the car because it's worthless, right? Shame drives a person to either try harder and harder and harder or quit. That's the effects of shame. Guilt is a behavior thing. Shame is an identity thing. Guilt calls us to change, whereas shame pushes us to do, 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 do more and more and more to be good enough. Okay, so that's shame, okay? What is a system? A system is basically a group of interrelated or interdependent parts that can be like a family, a friend circle, a school, a church, a social club, it's any, kind of those, any, any kinds of those things, right? Like, like it's a group of interrelated or interdependent parts. So example of a school, right? To have a school, you have to have your admin, you have to have your teachers, you have to have your custodial staff, you have to have your, your parents, you have to have your kids, all those things like that, right? Well, what happens if all of a sudden the bus driver does, just decides, I'm not going to cooperate, I'm going to go drive a different direction, right? Well, the whole system is affected because it is a system. If you have a team, right? You have your coaches, you have your managers, you have your, your captains, you have your players, you have your parents, you have your, your fan, everything like that, right? If all of a sudden one of those parts doesn't work, the whole system suffers. I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that the church is a system. It calls us a body, right? And because it says the body, it's one body with many parts. Every part does something different, but every part is necessary and important. And we need to function together uh, for the body to be healthy. So so a shame-based system is a group that operates based on shame. So where do shame-based systems begin? First of all, we all come from family systems that are, that are broken, right? Even the best of family is, is, is not a perfect family. We all have limps. We all have wounds. We all have brokenness that we inherit from our family systems, right? And, in, and it's easy for systems to tear themselves down instead of building each other up. Well, then next, what happens is that you have one person over here from a broken system and one person over here from a broken system, and what do they do? They get together. What do they create? Another broken system, right? It's what we do. When I do premarital counseling, that's one of the things that we're trying to flesh out is what kind of baggage are we bringing into this new family system, right? And so what happens oftentimes is one of two things, or sometimes both, is either one, we just perpetuate the same old broken systems. And now we're bringing two broken systems, so we have double the brokenness. Yay, right? Or we overcorrect and we create problems. Well, my parents were so domineering and controlling, I'm just going to go free range. I'm going to unparent my kids. Well, guess what? We just created a whole nother level of problems, right? And so we can have these systems. And then on top of that, the third problem is that systems that are there to help like churches, schools, counselors, whatever, teams, schools, right, Uh, uh, sports, all these things that are meant to help us learn how to be a better system actually heap more burdens on top of us. The things that are supposed to help actually 
tend to hurt even more. They give us solutions that are effort-driven, and we feed the problems instead of solving them. So here are some characteristics of a shame-based system. We're just going to go through these pretty quickly. Number one, there is constant comparison and critique. We either feel better by tearing others down. Well, it's or like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to compare myself to those around me, and if I don't measure up, then I'm going to tear them down so I can feel better about myself, right? I remember when I was a youth pastor, we were, uh, you know, as was, was a junior high camp, and every night when the lights would go off, all of a sudden there would be like this pregnant pause, and then all of a sudden, whew, the launch, someone would launch a fiery arrow. And it's usually happened is that one of the kids that was the most afraid of being picked on would pick on another kid so that way he would divert the attention away from himself, right? And he would usually do it by tearing down that other person and then everybody else would be like, yeah, you're terrible, you're this, you're that. And it, it just, it broke my heart, right? And, and it's what we would see time after time. So we, we're constantly comparing and critiquing ourselves and each other because none of us feel like we measure up. Number two, it's very appearance-based, right? Perception is more important than reality. In a shame-based system, appearance, appearance and perception is more important than reality. So what do we do? We carefully manicure a public image, that's sometimes called the ideal self or the glittering image, right? And we're very appearance-based. Number three, it's performance-based. If you perform, then you are valuable, worthy, and loved. You're accepted. If you don't, you're not. It's very simple. Here's the standards. Do it or else, right? Our identity comes from what we do. This is called the do-be dynamic, to where our identity comes from what we do. But biblically speaking, we're going to talk about this more in the next couple weeks, is we are, therefore I am, right? It's be, do. It, it, it's, it's uh, yeah, be, do. I am, therefore I do. I don't work for my salvation. I work from my salvation. It's a very, very big difference. It doesn't sound like that big of a difference, but it's huge, right? And so we don't need doobies, pun intended, we need be-do's. We are, therefore, we do. Understand the difference there? Um, we thrive on our own performance, right? If, if I'm doing well, then I feel good about myself. Parents, we, can, we get a sense of value and worth and worthiness if our children are well-behaved and high-performing, right? I see that all the time. Uh, Cornelius was a, a friend of mine in high school, not his real name. That would have been awesome because I would have loved to have had a friend named Cornelius. That would be epic. But Cornelius and I, we play basketball together. And it was crazy because after a game one night, um, I had fouled out in the third quarter as kind of par for my course because I was very, very aggressive and I wasn't a very good basketball player, but I was athletic. So I'd out muscle and out hustle. Well, not all refs like that. And so I fouled out in the third quarter. And, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, see you, see you, Cornelius, we'll see you. And he goes, oh, I don't want to go home. I said, why not? And, and he says, what do you, Jason, let me ask you a question. What do your parents do? Like, what are your parents going to say tonight when you go home? Way to go, Jason, you played well. I fouled out in the third quarter. That just means you're trying really hard, right? Like, that was the support system. They didn't care. They were just happy that I could be out there, that I could get the jersey and I could go and play. And if I fouled out, as long as I was fouling out because I was hustling, that's okay. Way to go, Jace, you know? 
Cornelius, on the other hand, he played an incredible game. Honestly, I was probably more athletic, but he was much better of a basketball player than I was. He was not as big, he wasn't as athletic, but he could actually dribble. That's kind of important in basketball. He could actually shoot, kind of need that a little bit, right? And he actually played a pretty decent game that night, but he said, tonight, I guarantee when I go home, my dad's going to sit me down before I can go to bed, and we're going to watch the entire game on, on VHS, right? Because that's how old I am. And, and he would critique every single thing that he did wrong. And I was like, Cornelius, you played your lights out tonight. Don't put up with that crap. I'm sorry. I know he's your dad, but please don't own that because you played really well tonight. And it broke my heart because, because he didn't do good enough for his dad. What's funny is his dad wasn't an athlete. He just wanted his son to be the standout that he never was. You see the brokenness there? Is that the parent thrives on the, and, and gets value from well-behaved and high-achieving kids. We're willing to go into all sorts of debt. Why? Because of the admiration of our friends and neighbors. We're willing to sacrifice our families for a promotion or a more respectable title at work. Churches feel like they're doing big things for God. Therefore, we're worth something, right? We, if we can generate excitement and buy-in and, and, and all this stuff, we're going to do, 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 do to get more people coming. And it's like, yay, the brand. We love the greenhouse brand. We're going to just, uh, the greenhouse, greenhouse, greenhouse. You know, and, and, and so like, hey, when we have 250 plus on a Christmas Eve, like, wow, we're, we're crushing it, greenhouse, way to go. The next week we have 100, under 100. Oh no, what are we doing wrong? Maybe there's something defunct in us. Maybe we're deficient. Maybe we're not. What, what, what do we need? You know, it's amazing. I literally clicked on one, one ad on Instagram this week that was geared towards ministry texting. And I was kind of like, I hate reach. Like every time I send out a reach, I'm like, send, 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 send. And I'm looking for better ways to do that. And so there was like, hey, if you get this app, you're going to. And so I clicked on that. And guess what? All week long, I've been getting these church growth ads. If you do our program, we're going to grow your church in 2024. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. So like, well, heck, I don't even need Jesus. <laughs> if the spirit doesn't show up, didn't need him anyhow. Because we got this program that only costs $19.98 a month, right? This is incredible. All this hard, messy stuff of Jesus getting into my personal life. Don't need that. Let's just go with the program right? We're tempted to perform more and more and more and more. I don't know how Jesus ever did it, right? He didn't have all the tools and all the ads and all the marketing and all the campaigns that, that we have at our disposal today. I don't know how Jesus did it, right? That was sarcastic, by the way. Um, number four, okay, we'll keep on moving quickly here. We're governed, uh, shame-based systems are governed by unspoken rules. There are these rules that are unspoken. You don't know necessarily what they are until you step out of line and then you're going to feel it, right? Why are they unspoken? Well, because that, if they're unspoken, they can go unchallenged. They can go unquestioned. And, and you can't really address the problem without being labeled as the problem. And, and that starts to get into a lot of spiritually abusive things and controlling things that aren't okay. Number five, there's constant code talk and code deciphering. Again, if, this, if, the, if the, the rules are unspoken, we're going to talk and decipher things 
um, in, in code, right? We say things in a way that, that are subtle, but very powerfully shaming. An example, and I'm, I'm just pulling this out of the hat. I've never said this nor done this. This has never happened in our home. The end of the day, it's cold, it's snowy, it's, it's, it's windy, and the dog hasn't been walked. Well, I guess I'm going to go walk the dog again. <clears throat> Put my coat on, right? Like, what am I saying, right? And this is, again, this has never happened. This is not an actual thing that I do at our, at our house, right? Um, so, so what's the message that's being said? Uh, what, what is literally being said? I'm going to go walk the dog. But what's being, the, what's the code, I'm a martyr, I'm going to die for this family, I'm probably going to freeze to death because nobody else is willing to take care of our dog, right? And I'm not the one who prayed him into existence in the beginning, right? It's inside family joke there. But you know, you know what I mean? Like, like, we get really good at saying things, we get really good at saying things without really saying it, and message clearly received. I'm put in my place, I feel ashamed because of my inadequacy, Right? Number six, we become idolatrous. Idolatry is basically turning to or relying on anything other than God to meet our needs. Lots of things can become idols. Our activities, our performance, programs, standards, morals, groups, people, buildings, ourselves, all sorts of things. Shame-based systems rely on idols to do what only God can do. Number seven, shame-based systems struggle with kids. Why? Because kids are messy. They haven't learned the codes yet. They haven't learned the rules yet. Yet, right? And so when kids haven't learned, then it's not okay to say, to ask why. We're going to church. Why? We're going to do this. Why? Let's read our Bible. Why? It's not okay to act like that way. Why? Right? Because I said so, right? No, kids are innocent. They're, they're naive, they're curious, they ask the questions why, and what do we do? It can be messy because they're questioning and challenging these things, and instead of embracing it and saying, this is a true learning opportunity, what's the solution? Turn our kids into mini adults. Can't you act, it's sort of like, kids need to be kids, right? Like, yes, we need a parent, we need a discipline, we need to train them, we need to, all those things like that. But at the same time, though, we can't expect kids to be many adults. They're still kids. And a lot of the problems we're finding is because our, 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 our kids aren't having childhoods, right? And so we want them to act like many adults because when they're behaving the way we want them to, when they're, when they're doing all these things like that, we feel like we're doing a good job. Therefore, I'm a good parent. I'm a good person. I have value. I have worth, right? It is no wonder, hey, good cue. I like that, Selena. Yes, yes. Tell me more about it, right? Like, like I just, it's just uh, beautiful. I love that. Um, it's no wonder that in the last 10 to 20 years, there is a mass exodus, exodus out of churches and away from religion. Why? Because we have turned it into a behavioral system that people need to achieve and do to be good enough instead of a relationship. It breaks my heart because that's not what Jesus came. He said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. He wants a relationship, not just more burdens heaped on the backs of his people, right? And so when people are, are leaving, they're leaving because, because there's this double talk, right? And it's hip, uh, hypocritical. 
And well, yeah, you're this way at church, but then I see the way you talk to me at home. I see the way you talk to mom. I see the way you talk to dad. I see the way you talk to me. I, I see the things that you do around your non-church friends, blah, blah, blah. And if you can't live it out in your real life, then it must not be real, right? The saddest part of it, though, is that we are running out of what should be something good, and we run to what the world offers us that is just as hypocritical is just as mean, is just as two-faced, is just as exclusive. Because you look at our world, I, I always say, you know, we're the most accepting, non-accepting people in the world, right? Like our country, our world is, has this double standard of we're so accepting except for you. We're going to cancel you, right? And so they're, they're, they're running towards something that is just as unquestionable, as untouchable, you can't question the culture. Otherwise, you're going to be labeled something terrible, right? Okay, number eight, we're preoccupied with fault and blame. Instead of seeing and, and treating behaviors as symptoms that reveal what's really going on, they're an indictment. Instead of saying, I messed up, I really messed up, and why did I mess up? And how do I grow through this mess up? And how, how do I re- experience redemption and reconciliation and sanctification and growth and restoration? Instead of doing that, it's sort of like, no, you messed up. You're out. You're gone. You're done. It's, it's, it's very hard to, um, to accept responsibility, right? I don't want to accept responsibility, so I'm going to push fault and blame on someone else. Number nine, focus is on the head over the heart. Why the head over the heart? Because we can rationalize and explain theories, but to actually have an experience causes us to be vulnerable. It causes us to be able to to require humility and empathy and understanding and compassion. And that is all way too costly. We don't have time for that. And that's too messy and too hard, right? And then 10th, shame-based systems are, there's no other way to say it, but they're cannibalistic. They literally cannibalize each other. These systems that there's, there's systems that feed off of the very people that they're intended to feed right? Husbands and wives are supposed to unconditionally love, support, respect, serve each other, not use or dominate them. Parents are supposed to care for, nurture, guide, resource, discipline, love, provide for kids, not feed off of them. Churches exist to share the love and the grace, the truth, the power of God, not exploit people to get what the church or the pastors want. There's a big difference there. I remember there was a big shift in my thinking when I realized, guess what? The church is here for the community, not the community for the church. And I think there's this subtle shift of a shame-based system, especially in shame-based churches, to where you need to do this, act this way, toe the line, get this, buy into the brand, do this, do that, do that, do that. Otherwise, you're on the out, right? Why? Because the church is desperate. It's insecure. It needs you. Guess what? We have Jesus. We don't, that's all we need. We are here to experience that together, right? And, and that gets to be some really dangerous stuff. Tired of trying to measure up says this in the, in the book, which I should have said, this is actually from a book. I'm not coming up with all this originally. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Oh, fooled you all and made you think I was very smart, right? Dang it. 
No, in the book, um, it says this. Instead of offering broken people grace and rest, religious systems have handed out standards of religious performance as their solution. Tired, wounded people have been offered religious formulas, not God's unconditional and transformative love and acceptance. Consequently, many times they're more tired and depressed than when they first sought the help. That is painful. That is hard. I, I, I almost am, if, I'm, I'll almost be tempted to say, how many of us have experienced this? I have. I have, and it's painful. It's gut-wrenching. So those are the characteristics of a shame-based system, right? But we're going to take it a little bit deeper. How do shame-based systems influence how we relate to ourselves internally? Number one, it changes our identity. Again, it's the do-be leads us to self-esteem. We're never going to measure up, right? We have this negative self-concept. We feel bad. We feel defective. We feel inadequate. We feel unlovable and unloved and undeserving, right? We become very critical of ourselves. Number two, we're, again, we're highly performance conscious. We're, we're constantly measuring and performing, measuring our own performance, um, and, and then we equate that to our value or worth. Number three, this is kind of interesting because we, come, we become very self-unaware. And the irony of that is that in a shame-based systems, we are preoccupied with ourselves. We are so focused on ourselves, but yet we're out of touch with what's really going on. Again, why? Because it's about the perception I want people to view me a certain way, so I work hard to manicure this perception, this persona. And so I start to think that I'm this persona instead of who I actually really am. And so we create all these blind spots in our lives, and we're very unaware of ourselves, right? It's, it's like I had a buddy, I had a buddy that we were, we were in our early 40s, and I hadn't seen him for a long time. He's a buddy from college, and, and he goes, man, I went and had a physical the other day, and you know what? He says, they, they, they said, I have ADD. And I was like, are you serious? And he goes, yeah. And I said, you know, I went and had a physical too. You know what they diagnosed me with? I'm, I'm really tall. And he looks at me and he goes, wait, you knew? And I was like, yes, I knew you had ADD your whole life. <laughs> like, like the guy we'd be driving, he'd be like with a yarn ball on his rearview mirror the whole time. And he's like, hey. I was like, bro, I love you for it. Like, it's one of your quirks that I love about you, right? And, and it was so funny, but he had no idea that that, that was a part of who he was, right? And it's kind of like if I would be thinking, you know, I'm, I, I just, I know I'm freakishly large. It's, it's part of who I am. But sometimes I forget that, right? Um, but anyhow, so unaware. And the, the, the next one is, too, we become emotionally unaware, or as I like to call it, emotionally constipated. Emotionally constipated. What happens? We stuff it, and we stuff it, and we stuff it, and we stuff it, thinking that if I, it's, it's sort of like it's object permanence. If I don't see you, you're not there. If I don't see you, you're not there. And so we experience these things, and we stuff it, and what happens? It starts to cause problems, <laughs> right? And it builds and it builds and it builds and it causes so much pain and agony. We ignore, deny, hide, and stuff our feelings. But when stuffed feelings fester, they end up controlling us even more than if we just deal with them in the first place. It's kind of like if we, if we stuff things to try to, and we avoid things to try to keep the peace, the more we stuff it, the more it actually ends up controlling us in 
the long run, the more conflict it, it causes. Next thing is, is how it, it, it influences how we relate with ourselves. We become obsessive and idolatrous. Again, we try to control everything uh, because our mood, our value, our identity, our worth depend on it. Number six is, is we become anxious. We become anxious. No matter how hard we try to control our circumstances, they're always going to be changing. There's always going to be new things that are going to be coming into our lives that are outside of our control. And if we try to control it, it's just going to be a problem. It's like I was thinking of you this week, Ben. Ben's a flight controller, right? So if you ever had problems coming into Salt Lake International Airport, it's Ben's fault. Um, that I was just thinking because I, I've, I'm just knowing you and, and Nicole has an uncle that's, that does the same thing in Omaha. And it's sort of like, I couldn't last three seconds in that position because there's constantly, you're, you're talking flights after flights after flights in and in and in. And you're just like doing all this kind of stuff. And I would just freak out. Well, that is a, a beautifully painful picture of what it's like to try to, to, uh, to be non-anxious in a shame-based system right? Because we think, we think, hey, I'm going to control this, but then this one comes in, and then we're going to, oh, we're going to handle this. All of a sudden, psh, you know, we're getting attacked from every angle, and we become so anxious because things are so uncertain and always ever-changing. Number seven, we become wounded. We have wounds deep inside of ourselves, and there's two sides to this. Number one, our wounds are hidden, right? Just like our feelings, we try to hide our wounds, but what happens when we hide a wound? It festers. It causes more problems, right? We suffer in silence because we're ashamed to not be okay. We have to be the perfect, squeaky clean, strong person, right? And we can't show any weakness. The other side that we're seeing growing more and more and more culture in our culture is that wounds are glorified. They're idolized. It's not okay to be okay. Our many triggers have become our identity, our wounds are a badge of honor that our lives revolve around and our sense of woundedness becomes an excuse to get out of anything that we want for free, right? I see that in our culture more and more and more to where uh, our, our, we, we, we romanticize and we idolize our wounds. The last one is this, is we become tired. Survival is tiring, Right? And if we're constantly trying to survive a shame-based systems and, and those attacks will wear us down and the first to go is our hope, our joy, and our motivation. How it affects how we relate with others. We're unaware of personal boundaries. The most dangerous things about virus, viruses and cancer is that they have no sense of where they end and others begin. The whole point of a virus or a cancer is that they latch on, they dominate, they take control, and then they ruin it. And then they go to the next cell, and they latch on, they dominate, they ruin it. In, in a shame-based system, we relate to each other in, in that same kind of way, right? It's kind of like having that friend or that family member that whenever you get together and that person's there, everybody, remember we're talking about codes and unwritten rules, Everybody is walking on eggshells because we don't want to make him or her upset. We need to keep the peace. So don't say this. Don't talk about this. Don't do this. Don't let your kid do this, right? And, and, and so we, we, uh, we don't have the personal boundaries of being able to say, hey, I have four kids. They're a little bit crazy. I'm going to do my best to make sure they don't ruin everything. But they're probably going to get in your hair just a little bit, right? 
Like, and if, if that's going to make you upset, then we don't need to come, right? Instead, we go and it's sort of like, ah, oh, you know, be, be a good little boy, be a little good little girl, right? Like, um, please understand what I'm saying and not what I'm, say- what I'm not saying there, right? But, but the, the lack of personal boundaries affects the whole group. The second part of how we interact with each other is we become chameleons. We walk into a room, we assess the situation, we figure out who's in control, who's in charge, what the codes are that I need to do to be accepted, valuable, loving, loved, everything like that. And and then we figure out what we have to do to keep the peace, and then we play the part. The third thing in how we relate with each other is that we oftentimes don't feel like we belong because no matter how hard we try to be a chameleon, no matter how hard we try to decode and decipher, no matter how hard we try all these things, we're still going to mess up. And in a shame-based systems, failure is not okay. So when we mess up, we don't belong. We're unloved, unworthy, unwanted. Number four, we lose touch with reality. Again, this goes back to how the appearance and the, the, uh, the perception is more important and more real than reality. We lose touch with reality. We don't let people see who we really are, and we don't see who the other person really is. So we never dig underneath of, of you know, if, if Nicole had said, babe, are you okay? And like, yes, leave me alone. I'm fine, Right? I'm, I'm, look how happy I am, you know? Like, that, that wouldn't have let her in to where we could have the conversations for me to be able to kind of dig apart what's really going on there. Social media feeds into this so much because it's so much geared about perception. I will never forget, had some friends that they were out and they were vacation after vacation after vacation and they just looked like they had the most amazing picture-perfect marriage and wow, they've been married for how long and look at the vacations that they're doing. Literally, they came home and within a week they were divorced. And I thought, that was all a lie. But they worked so hard and spent thousands and thousands of dollars to manicure, to procure this ideal image because that's what matters. They had lost touch with reality. And unfortunately, those around them had lost touch with reality too, because we, we saw what they wanted us to see, what they worked really hard for them, for us to see. And, and last number five is that it's no surprise that when we, we lose trust in people around us, we expect to be hurt. We expect to be betrayed. We expect to be abandoned. Um, I once heard uh, the term emotional Barney Arms, right? After being in a shame-based system for long enough, we're kind of like, oh, Ray, hey, nice to see you, buddy. Hey, let's hang out. Oh, I'm so glad of what God's doing. Yeah, but don't, don't, don't tell me too much because I don't want to really get too deep into your life and I don't want you to get too deep into my life, right? Like, we, we're, we don't want to be a church of emotional Barney Arms, right? We want to we embrace each other and, and get into each other's lives in a, in a meaningful way. So if you're like me, you're really visual, there's some, there's, this, this will maybe help just a little bit. Uh, first of all, we have the system A. This is what a system is, interrelated, interconnected parts, right? Every part is connected to every other part. This is a healthy-looking system. Oftentimes, though, we go to the next one. It's a shame-based system, and it's performance. That person just stepped out of line, so what do we do? They put, we put them in the middle, and now all of a sudden, instead of these two-way arrows, we're forcing ourselves onto that person. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do that, right? That is performance. We're, we're, we're looking to perform that. Or the other side, if we don't want to control them, what do we do? We kick them out. 
right? And so we avoid. And so, well, you know, Johnny's just this way, and so we don't talk with Johnny anymore, right? We kick him out of the family. We kick him out of the friend group. We kick him out of the church. We do this and that, and then we go back to our happy little system, right? The reality is this isn't reality because the reality is is when someone leaves, everybody's focused on that person, right? Because even when we say, I don't care about him, I don't want him, blah, 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 we, we do our best, what are we doing? We're thinking about him more and more and more. So now what do we do? We all try to go fix that person. It's not a healthy system. Those are shame, that's what shame-based systems look like. And it should, and you can put the one with all four of them on, we should be the system A to where, you know, in a family, yeah, there's dad, there's mom, there's, there's the sons, there's the daughters, things like that, but we're all interconnected, right? A church should look like that. Yeah, I'm a pastor. You guys know sometimes, like, I know that people call me pastor because it's a term of respect and endearment and everything like that, but it always kind of like, I'm like, ah, oh, thank you, because you know how many times people are like, oh, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, okay. Nice to meet you. Sorry for dropping the F-bomb for the last 20 minutes of the conversation. I, I didn't know I was about around a pastor. I was like, you know, like, come on, people. I'm just a normal human being, right? It's not like I've ever never heard it before or other. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, like the, the, the idea of a church isn't to have this pyramid structure to where it's this and that. No, we're, we're in this. We're brothers and sisters. I'm not Jesus. Drew isn't Jesus. Rich isn't Jesus. We're, we are brothers and sisters. We are hands and feet and other body parts in the, in the family, the body of Christ. And so what happens is that we don't want to have to perform for each other, right? And the funny thing is, is that a lot of times in, in, in shame-based church systems, is a lot of times we think that it's coming from the pastors to the leadership to the people, right? Can I tell you a secret? A lot of times it goes the other way too. Pastors are leaving ministry left and right because they are constantly under the gun to perform. Now, some super high-achieving type A personalities thrive in that, right? You could be at Pepsi, you could be at Adobe, or you could be at a church, right? I thrive. Give me the pressure. Give me this. I want to sell. I want to perform. I want to I feed off of that, right? That doesn't mean it's a good system, but, but really what should be happening is that, is that we're all in this together. Yeah, I'm a leader. I'm a pastor. God's called me to this. He's gifted me for this. I've studied for this. This is what I do, do with my life. But just like the Bible says, don't lord it over anybody, right? And, and the, the, the problem is, is sometimes we have to fight that temptation to perform because we expect that people want us to perform. I will never forget um, I, I gave a message in my hometown, and it was a whole community-wide deal, and, and I, was, I was finishing up seminary. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I was busy working full-time on the farm. I, 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 I waited to the last minute to do my message, and, and, uh, and then, lo and behold, at like one in the morning, one of my best friends called, and he had this horrible emergency, uh, very, very stupid decision on his part, and so what did I do? I went and I sat with him until three in the morning. And I hadn't even finished my message yet. I think I went to bed at about 6 o'clock that morning. I got up at about 8 o'clock, and I went to this community-wide people. There were several hundred people around there, and I butchered my way through that talk. And little old lady after little old lady who had watched me foul out in the third quarter of my whole high school career were like, Jason, that was so good. That was so good. I was like, thank you, thank you. And Al Magnuson, you know Al, right? Al Magnuson was, was, was a pastor at the church that I was at at the time, 
And, uh, and he came up to me and goes, Jason, he goes, uh, that, was, that was really good until the end. He says, you had it right there. And then it's just like you just quit. And I said, well, this is literally because that's when I got the call that my friend was about to die and I went and spent the night with him, right? And it's sort of like, but he was like, hey, would you be okay if I would give you some alternate endings to your message? I was like, yes, Al, you can totally do that. Like four o'clock that afternoon, I get this email and he had like four different ways to end my, to end my message better than I did, right? Now I could be offended, I could be insignificant because that threatens who I am, right? How dare you say you could give my message better than me? But I was sort of like, Al, you're my real friend. And you have some really good points. Thank you for sharing that. Next time I give this talk, I'll be sure and use one of your endings, right? <laughs> but you see the difference that's going on there? Like, everybody wanted me to perform, but he didn't care about performance. He cared if I was being faithful to the Word of God. He cared if I was being compassionate and truthful and loving. That's what the system should look like. The point is that shame-based systems dupe us into trying harder and harder and to work our way into our identity, our acceptance, our love, our value, and it's an endless treadmill. Here's the big idea this morning. Shame denies God's grace and claims that a person can only be valuable, worthy, or loved if they perform a prescribed set of morals, behaviors, or practices. That's dangerous. That is really, really dangerous. Now, I know this morning's been heavy, and it's been long, and everything like that. Some of us might be annoyed. Some of us might be hurt. Some of us might be really struggling right now. Some of us might be turned off and said, if this is what greenhouse is like, I'm never coming back again, right? I, I get it. I get it. But I wanted to start the year off with this. We want to be healthy. We want to identify the things that maybe we don't even know that we're struggling with or that have formed us over the years. I would rather start off becoming more healthy. And a lot of times it's sort of like, how are we going to grow in 2024? How do we get more? You know, how do we push, 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 push? I'd rather go healthy than fast. I would. I'd rather have people coming to Jesus and surrendering their brokenness, their hurt, their pain, their struggles together because guess what? The world needs that. The world will know that we are his disciples by our clever marketing strategies, by the quality of our technology, by the, the fanciness of that, by the, the popularity of it. No, they will know we are his disciples by our love. Do we love God? Are we practicing love together? And do we love the people in the world around us? Shame attacks love. That's where I want to start this year off together. Health matters. Revelations 12 says that Satan is an accuser. If any of us have that voice of accusation in our heads going into 2024, let's nip it in the bud. Let's listen to what's real, what's true, what's right. Let's fill our minds with his love, with his grace, with his peace, with his transformation. Not what the world is saying, do, 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 more, 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 better, 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 bigger, faster, stronger, all that kind of stuff, right? Let's run to the creator of all 
things. This isn't new. At creation, Satan accused Adam and Eve of being inadequate. And they looked around, and all of a sudden they realized in their perfect state in the garden, perfect state with relationship with each other and their creator, they had perfection. And guess what? Satan came in and accused that and said, don't you want to become like God, though? It could be better if you do more. If you do this, then you'll have this. And then what happened? As soon as they did that, shame kicked in. They hid themselves in shame. They hid from each other. They hid from God. The very person they had been walking with for who knows how long in the garden, in all their glory, (laughs) shame kicks in. And Satan's been living out the same playbook ever since. So this week, how do we move from belief to action, from knowing to doing? Number one, let's do an inventory of ourselves. Let's, let's ask God to, to reveal in us our lives, our relationships, our thoughts, our attitudes, our identities, our emotions, all those things, and assess if we've been shaped or influenced in any way by shame-based systems. So ask God to search us, know us, reveal anything in us that has been shaped by shame-based systems. And then number two is this. Read chapter, uh, Psalm chapter 34 verses 4 and 5. Put this somewhere where you can see it, read it, pray it, meditate it, dwell on it every day this week as many times as you need. But let this be our prayer this week. Thirty-four, uh, Psalm 34, uh, 4 and 5. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Let's run to God with this. And here's the cool thing. Like I said, this morning is heavy. The next two weeks, we get to actually look at what does God say? What did God do? What does he want to do in us and through us? You matter to God. You matter. He created you on purpose and with a purpose. And so through this, we want to see where God wants to take us in the weeks to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. God, I thank you for the fact that, that you don't play that same game that the world plays. God, you came into the world like Jordan was saying earlier this morning. You made yourself into the things that you made us from because you loved us, because you care about us. You paid the price and gave the sacrifice that we never could. But yet, God, we still are so tempted and so constantly challenged to try to do what only you could do. God, I pray this week that we could just experience your love, your forgiveness, God, your grace, your mercy. God, we're reminded that that we're saved by your grace. It's nothing that we could ever do. We can't brag about it, God. It's simply a gift that we receive. So God, I pray this week that we could be challenged as we see the effects of this, but that we're also encouraged because of your goodness, because of your love. God, more than anything, I pray that each and every single one of us here this morning or those online or listening to or watching later would come away with a sense of optimism, with joy, with hope, with peace, knowing that we are to be set free from this kind of system. God, give us direction, give us guidance as we try to walk this out in our, in our families, in our friendships, in our church, in our community.
God, help us to be a reflection of who you call us to be. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your love for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.